Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's conversation with Easter not too far away, we are chatting to the lovely Claire Burnett from Chococo. Now, teenage memories of choosing individual mouth-watering chocolates in Belgium, France and Holland are behind Claire's jokey suggestion that she and her husband Andy leave their perfectly well-paid jobs in London and make chocolates in Dorset instead. Soon after, they converted a small hairdressing salon in Swanage into a chocolate kitchen, complete with viewing window and a tiny shop upstairs. Yep, that's right, upstairs. It was 2002 and Chococo found itself in the vanguard of a pioneering chocolate makers, only using fresh ingredients from local producers and sourcing chocolate with a clear provenance from countries like Madagascar, Venezuela and Grenada. We'll find out why Claire and Andy use raised trade chocolate, and it is different to fair trade, and how the mantra spend a little, learn a lot has helped the couple grow their business from that tiny kitchen in Swanage to four buzzing chocolate houses in Hampshire, Devon and Sussex, as well as Dorset. I very much hope you enjoy this week's Chocolate Conversation. Claire, hello. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to come and have a chat. It's lovely to see you again. It's lovely to see you. And thank you for wanting me to be part of your fantastic sounding podcast. Thank you. It's been, I think, over 10 years. So I'm, I'm genuinely excited to come and hear what's happened in the last decade of your life, because I remember meeting you uh, back in Swanage, I think, making yep. chocolate with my team right in the early days of both of our businesses. Yeah, but... that was the early days. We've moved on a bit since then. Yes. So we're now sitting here in our Chococo HQ, as we grandly call it, our slightly tatty unit in Wareham, where we have um, on the ground floor, we have our making rooms and we make all our chocolates. And now we're making gelato, which is very exciting. And our packing rooms. So they're all downstairs. And then we have our really smart offices upstairs, not where we're sitting in our tiny staff room. Um, and so this is where the magic happens here I, in Wareham. I always get sat in odd places when I go and visit people. I went to and, and interview Jimmy's Eyes Coffee. We did a podcast yeah. with him. And I think I end up in, in, in fundamentally what felt like a cupboard, but apparently he gave it some glamorous name, like a packing <laughs> room or something like that. Well, that's so. exactly what happens when you run a small business, when you run your own business, you don't have money to spend on the back office. All the all the money, the investment goes into what the customer sees. True. So it goes into the chocolate room, it goes into the moulds, it goes into our tempering machines, it goes into the gelato, it goes into the packaging, it goes into our chocolate houses, it doesn't go into swanky offices. So that is something that's, you know, you don't spend the money where you don't, where you don't need yeah, to because there isn't lots of money floating around. But you have got some amazing stuff. So thank you for the tour. I've just gone around and seen the most amazing. Uh, we're just coming up to Easter. So you are you know, massively busy. Are there busy. are chocolate eggs everywhere. The place <laughs> smells incredible. <laughs> so I want to come into to what you do now, but clearly a chocolatier. But to start with, um, I'd just love to hear the story of how these things start. So can you just take me back and just explain how did Chococo come how into being Chococo all those years in? ago? Yes, well, it was... 
Chococo is sort of set up basically by myself and my husband, Andy. Um, we launched in October. Well, no, we didn't launch in October. We launched in December 2002 um, and in Swanage. And why Swanage? Why chocolate? Um, well, there are a number of key influences for that. Um, the first, I think, the sort of first catalyst was actually um, giving birth. So I had my first child, Lily, um, in London back in 2000. And becoming a new mum, I became really aware, much more than I ever had before, about food and what I was feeding her and what was in processed foods. And I really suddenly started tuning in. Um, and started worrying about things like that. And um, at the same time, we were living in London, but Andy wasn't very happy. He was in um, accountancy and I was trying to juggle working in marketing roles with a baby and it just wasn't really working for us. And Andy's family was from Swanage. His mother was born in Swanage and we actually got married in Swanage back in 99. And we started saying, well, what if we left London and what if we, you know, set up and lived in Swanage? What would we do? And we had all sorts of brainstorming sessions in various pubs um, around the place. And um, I rather almost, almost as a sort of slight joke said, well, chocolate, no one's doing good chocolate in the UK. And the reason I said that, this is back in, you know, early 2000s, was my parents actually used to live in Belgium. So they moved out to Belgium in Brussels um, in the mid 80s when I was at university. I'm showing how old I am now. And um, I used to go home to see them and we'd go to the local chocolatier and we'd buy fresh chocolates. And they were made on the premises and they had fresh cream ganache fillings. And they were made with chocolate of known provenance. You knew where the chocolate came from. Um, they were designed to be eaten within days, not within months. And they had interesting flavors inside and fresh fillings and we'd buy and we'd choose the chocolates. So they weren't in boxes just on a supermarket shelf. And that kind of sudden exposure before any sort of artisan chocolate shops had come over to the UK um, was like a revelation, if you like. And How we, old were you at this point? Sorry, so I would have been sort of 19, 18, 19. Okay. Right. And we'd go to cafes and have proper chocolat shows yeah. made with chocolate. We'd go and have dam blanches with a pot of hot chocolate sauce on the side and you poured it over the ice cream. And this completely different relationship that they had with chocolate, with food, tratteurs, just, just fantastic. What a revelation. Um, and you'd go to the supermarket and there'd be walls of bars and I vividly remember them and they'd talk about where the cocoa beans came from. And they would have high cocoa contents and obviously no palm oil and none of the kind of, sh not too much sugar and things in. And I'd say that we in the UK as a nation have historically had and still have a pretty poor relationship with chocolate. So I almost jokingly said, well, actually, no one is doing chocolate in the continental style. Um, as I remember from my Belgian, when I'm going to see the parents in Belgium, we used to go on, you know, we go to Paris, we go to see, visit the chocolate shops there. They then moved to Holland. And it was just like, hello, there's a whole world of chocolate out there that isn't really being replicated here in the UK. So I think we were pretty much the first UK chocolatier to use truly fresh ingredients and local. So I was madly passionate about food miles. That was the big thing at that time. Um, and I wanted to set up a chocolate business that was creating truly fresh chocolates, using local ingredients wherever possible, and origin chocolate. No, Belgian chocolate. I'm doing the whole hands thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, here with yeah. my fingers. Um, even though my parents had lived in Belgium, chocolate does not, cocoa does not grow in Belgium. Okay. And yet we in the UK were stuck on Belgian chocolate. In a way that with chocolate, we talk we don't talk about the origin of chocolate in the way that we do with so many other categories. So if we talked about coffee, 
you'd be able to tell me about coffee and different flavor notes from Colombia and Guatemala and Ethiopia. Yeah. And, and you do this, we can do the same with olive oils. You can do the same with cheeses. You can do the same even with Iberico hands. Yeah. And you can definitely do it with wine. All right. True. So 20, 30 years ago, everyone was terribly sophisticated in their wine choices. Yeah. We had towers of black and nuns in blue. Now people are talking about different origins, different grape varieties, different processing methods, even down to different estates. And we're all actually quite sophisticated in our wine choices, almost without realizing it. And we take it for granted. Yeah. And foodies can have quite a good conversation around all sorts of different categories. Chocolate is a bit of a blank. And when I talk to people about chocolate, I say, so what sort of chocolate do you like? They tend to say milk white or dark, or they'll talk to me in brands. Very rarely do they say, well, actually, you know, I love chocolate that comes from Madagascar because it's got real fantastic, vibrant red berry fruit notes. Or, oh, actually, I was in Grenada and the chocolate from there actually was more kind of woody and earthy, but had a bit of a citrus top note. You don't have those conversations with people about right. chocolate. I've not had that conversation, no. only with you. Yeah. And so when we started back in 2002, we really kind of... Turn the, shift, turn the paradigm on its head that a box of chocolates can sit on your coffee table and last for months. So we went totally the other way and we used truly fresh ingredients and we hooked up with Trevor Craig and we still work with him today. So Trevor Craig has his farm in Weymouth, just this side of, um, was well, just um, the east side of Weymouth in Osmington. And he's pretty much the only dairy farmer now left supplying direct from his farm to his customers in South Dorset. And my first meeting with Trevor was in his um, one of his barns with new calves and my daughter, Lily, who wasn't quite two at that point, eating a Marmite sandwich, running around this farm um, while I was talking to Trevor about whether he could supply us with cream to make fresh chocolates. And he thought I was completely bonkers, but he stuck with us and it's a fantastic relationship. So I'm passionate about having relationships with our suppliers, whether it's chocolate globally or locally. You know, I believe in kind of direct trade, fair trade, again, in inverted commas, ethical sourcing in terms of building relationships with your suppliers. So we started working with Trevor. We still do. So we will ring his office on an evening and Dan, his delivery driver, will deliver fresh cream and milk the following morning. Amazing. From okay. the farm. Well, we'll come into the production, but you mentioned that that food miles thing was already a thing. So you were, yeah. you were, you just had a baby and, and that was something you were already conscious of before you got into your actual own business. Yes. So where, where had that come from? Is that had just come from, I think me, I think the other influence in why Chococo exists today is my mother. She was a foodie way ahead of her time. So she was feeding me in the 70s. I would go to school with a thermos flask with chicken liver risotto in it. Okay. Wow. Lucky you. <laughs> yes, I know. She was so ahead of every curve. Um, but actually, I was. Uh, my parents met in Singapore and I was born out there. So I think my mum, even though she's from Scotland, um, was just fascinated by food and flavour. And I have been extraordinarily lucky as a child that my mum was just experimenting and feeding us things. So I discovered polenta. We were eating paellas and polenta and blinis, you know, before anybody had kind of tuned into them as, as trade, you know, food trends and crazes. And I don't know where my mum picked these things up, but she was a real, she was sort of like by osmosis, she'd kind of discover these things and experiment. So I take all my passion for food and flavour yeah. from her and care about where things come from. And yes, I've worked for big companies where, not in the food industry, um, where you don't really worry about where the kind of composite ingredients come from. You just, I wanted to set a business up where it wasn't a weasel. Because there are businesses out there that would give you the impression that they've made everything. 
Yeah. But they haven't. They've outsourced the making part. They're just a marketing front. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not playing any games here. So when we say we made them, we did. So we were real people making real chocolates in a real place. And that keep it real is a mantra that has stuck with us ever since. I think it's key now. And I think that authenticity is so, uh, it's so easy to see when people aren't doing that now. It, it's frustrating and we'll probably come onto this and the, the, the big brands kind of, you know, sort of jump yeah. on the, the bandwagon yeah, of absolutely. it. But actually through, if you do a bit of research because of the internet and social and you can generally find out a lot more about big brands than you used to be yep. able to do, Ben, and we'll come back to that. Um, but just a matter of interest, what, so what was your career at this time before you actually opened? What were you doing for a living? So before I was a marketeer okay. um, and um, for my sins. You, were, you weren't telling those lies. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, well, I was for my sins. I've you know I've done the big company thing. Uh, I started at Shell. I don't know why, but okay. I did. Um, then I went to Procter and Gamble, which taught me lots of things um, about marketing, and um, I learned some things about innovation. You know, very much a sort of mantra there was innovate or die. And you can't set up a business with one idea and expect it to survive long term. You have to keep innovating. You have to keep it fresh. Literally, um, we're all about fresh chocolates, and so we expand that fresh concept into fresh chocolates, fresh flavors, fresh, everything is fresh, exciting, you know, I'm going to start singing, burst into song. <laughs> um, so I think that's a Kid Creole and the Coconut song, isn't it? She's fresh, exciting. And that's what we try and do. So I learned some things and don't compromise. And um, for all its faults, you know, the one thing that that large company did was they did care about the quality of what they did. Um, and so I refused to compromise okay. on the quality. Our, the quality of our chocolates now is way better than it was when we started 16 years ago. Yeah, I think that's often the way. It's the same in, in, in my business, you know, you have better chefs, better knowledge, yeah. better sourcing, better contacts yeah. with suppliers and all that kind of stuff. So you're in the pub, you think, right, chocolate, so you mention pub, it, you so say we, yes. So How do you chocolate. turn that into reality? So Andy's like, Andy's an accountant and he's <laughs> like, chocolate? And I'm like, well, like no one's. And then as I said it, I'm thinking, no one's doing fresh chocolates in this country. No one is making chocolates on site and showing, you know, so that you can't watch them being made. No one is using local ingredients. No one is using fresh cream. No one is sort of saying you need to eat these within a couple of weeks because the sort of the mantra then was to extend shelf life. No one is really talking about where the chocolate comes from. Um, it's, you know, as I said, sort of stuck on this Belgian chocolate thing. Um, so I sort of did put my marketing hat on and decided to do some research. And the more I researched, the more I thought, actually, there is a gap here. There is a gap in this market in the UK. No one is doing this. It's still a pretty big gap because it's hard. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason there's a gap. There's a reason yeah. there's a gap. <laughs> um, and as I kind of researched, it kind of the, the sort of the ball started rolling and it gained momentum. And um, <clears throat> Andy was brilliant. He was really supportive and he was like, okay, well, let's explore this. And he put together the business model and I was putting together all the ideas and just went super crazy on sort of the creative ideas of what we could do. Started to sort of talk to people in the industry. It's quite a small, like most industries, it's quite a small industry at the sort of the premium end and came across a, a company that does a lot of supplies, a lot of chocolate and ingredients and packaging. And it's still Keeling, you know, I'll mention them. They're, they're a really good resource, especially for people who are starting out. And so I rang them up. And obviously the industry then was much, it's exploded since then. We're talking at the turn of the century and you know, what a different world we live in now. But I rang them up and spoke to a very nice lady and I sort of just was exploring this. And I said, I haven't made a single chocolate in anger yet, domestically have, and actually 
back to my mum, we used to make chocolates at Christmas time and lots of chocolate treats and chocolate biscuit cakes. And some of those flavours are in Chococo today. Um, so I said, I haven't made a single chocolate in anger. And I've been buying books. I've been experimenting. but And there weren't any courses. Now, there are lots of chocolate courses you could go on. In those days, there was nothing unless you did a, a full patisserie course of which chocolate then would be part and I was like, oh, no, I don't have time. I just want to do the chocolate pot. And um, they mentioned um, a chap who was uh, based up north, um, Andrew Thwaite, who was doing training on the side. So I got in touch with him and he said, yes, I'll train you too. So we went up, oh, hilarious, with my very long list. And I had a notebook full of questions and ideas. And so basically we made chocolates by day and at night we go to the pub and I just bombard poor Andrew with questions. And at the end, we were with him for about a week. And at the end of it, he said, I think you two will be all right. And I said, "Uh, why is that? He said, I've never had anybody ask me so many questions. Um, And bless him. Um, His his chocolate career has evolved and changed over the years, but we keep in touch. And um, remember, we met up with him at a chocolate show in Belgium a few years later, and we gave him a box of our chocolates. And he was so proud um, that we've, you know, won awards and things as well. But at the time, you know, I was very much, he was, you know, he would talk about, or you could buy truffle spheres, you know, to fill and you could buy sort of ready-made ganache fillings and you can flavour them. And I went, no, not doing any of that. Do it um, the hard way. I'm doing it the hard way. And he was like, okay, because no one was doing that. Yeah. And I'm not going to buy this chocolate from here that's sort of um, premium, but still Belgian, you don't have, you don't know where it's come from. I'm only going to buy chocolate that's come from Venezuela. Okay. You know, he was, it was a real eye opener for him. We were very, coming from it from a very different place to anyone that he'd trained before. So we bought a hairdresser's in a back street in Swanage. Obviously. Next Obviously, step. Obviously. I'm sure that do. was on his list when you asked the question, yes. where should we start? Where should we start? So in Swanage. Why Swanage? Because we'd got married there and we thought, right, well, we'll set up the business there. Not sure Swanage is ready for us. So our business model hilariously initially was we're having a kitchen. We had a little shop upstairs. Now, how bonkers is that to put your shop upstairs? No visibility. But we didn't think it would be that popular. And we thought we'd have to build a business by going out to shows, to events, building a web-based business, which obviously the web then was early days as well in terms of e-commerce. So we were a bit of ahead of our we were a bit ahead of the curves on all those kind of fronts. But how wrong we were in terms of Swanage's propensity to want to eat fine chocolate. So when we start, we bought this hairdressers. And the lady retired and had run this hairdresser's for goodness knows how many years. And she literally just locked the door. So we got the keys, opened the door, and all the hairdressing kit was still there. And it was 1960s, brilliant stuff. But we were like, well, we can't throw this out. And some local friends said, well, ring up a um, a, a set design company and send them some pictures and they'll probably buy it off you. So that was our first entrepreneurial thing we did. We did that and this guy arrived in a van, gave us some money, cash type money that went in a pot as an emergency fund, took away all the amazing old fashioned hair dryer things, which have probably appeared on TV shows ever since. Um, So that cleared out the space, but we, our budget was tiny. So, and all of it was spent on setting up the chocolate kitchen. And we deliberately, it was a little one up and up and down um, unit. So we wanted to put the kitchen on the ground floor and we put a little internal glass window, a little tiny foyer so people could watch us making. And it was all about the chocolate being made. And it was, again, back to this keep it real show people that were real people making this 
here in this space, 200 square foot, tiny space. Um, and then we made customers walk up the stairs, which probably wasn't the best idea. But, and we started being open in like three afternoons a week. <laughs> so, and Lily wasn't quite two. And that was a bit of a shock coming out of London. Um, childcare didn't really exist. And we'd been very lucky in London with nurseries to, to choose from within walking distance of our flat. So um, that was a bit of an eye opener. Um, but we found a lovely lady, Sue, who became our childminder. Sue then came to join us and helped pack, became one of our packing ladies over time. Then her daughter, Emma, joined us a few years ago. And now Emma's our packing team leader, who you met earlier. And she's getting engaged to Chris, our operations manager. Nice. So we've got our first Chococo wedding um, and all okay. due to us meeting Sue as our childminder when Lily wasn't quite two. Um, so I would drop Lily off. No, I no. how it worked originally was I would go in early doors, like six in the morning and make the ganaches. So a ganache is the blend of cream, Trevor's cream, and whichever chocolate we were working with and then whatever natural flavors to create the centers of the chocolate. But when you make a ganache, you're, you're adding hot liquid to chocolate. So it's too warm to work with for a while, but you have to make them first thing so they can then cool, then they're ready to pipe and um, work with to make into truffles or molded chocolates. So Andy would take Lily to the childminder. Um, then we'd work together on making the truffles and chocolates. If a customer came in, I'd run upstairs to the shop, serve them, run back downstairs again. Um, and then I'd go and pick up Lily from the childminder. And we realized pretty quickly that you can't make and pack and serve and build a business with just two people when you're making by hand. So handmade needs people. And we touched on it earlier and it's, it's one of those words that people hear, but they don't understand. And we didn't understand ourselves. Be honest, when we started, we were really quite naive about how much we could do and how much time things would take, vertical learning curve. Um, and we didn't allow enough space for packing at all. We didn't have any space for packing and packing needs flat surfaces because when you're putting chocolates in boxes, you need to get the chocolates out to be able to put them into boxes. Um, and that first, we opened on the 5th of December. Interesting time of wow, year. Busy. Um, so we kind of really hit the ground running and realized that the people of Swanage were like knocking, you know, banging the door down, wanting to try our chocolates. And we'd sent an email, no, it wasn't pre-email. We'd sent a a piece of paper with a little welcome to the freshest chocolate company in the UK to everybody we knew in our address book. And I'm sure lots of friends were like, oh my God, what have they done? Oh dear, Claire and Andy, what do you know about making chocolates? Well, let's buy a box and, yeah, we'll you be know, nice. be nice. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. You know, what could, what's the worst that can happen? So we got a total of 175 orders for boxes to be posted out. Wow. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And we realized that we were so focused on making the chocolates to put in these boxes and running up the stairs to serve the customers that came in that I hadn't allowed enough time to pack them before the last posting date before Christmas. So I rang my sister, who's slightly younger than me, still living in London, no kids, and went, help. help. <laughs> and she drove down. She arrived at nine o'clock at night and we packed overnight because we had to clear all the surfaces in our tiny kitchen because we didn't really have anywhere to pack these chocolates. We packed this box, these 175 boxes overnight. We finished at four, went to bed for a couple of hours, went back in at seven and then put them in an outer box, got them to the post office in time. Massive learning for me that you need people. So over the course of that first year, we started to employ people um, to help us make, which would free. So Andy became the main maker 
relatively early on. And hilariously, when I'm going back to our training with Andrew um, up north, Andy was very much the, okay, you're in charge of all of this. I'm just here to make sure that you're doing the right thing and that financially this works. But when we were doing our initial training with Andrew, obviously Andrew was getting us to do everything. So we were tempering chocolate and um, piping truffles. And Andy is a biochemist by um, training in terms of his um, university degree. And he suddenly got into the science of chocolate. And he kind of went, wow. And he loves the whole science, the whole tempering. He can bore you for hours. On the, there's another podcast there. The isn't crystalline there? structure <laughs> of chocolate and the correct crystalline structure in order to have properly tempered chocolate because it's very easy to get wrong and most people do. Um, and he was also brilliant at piping, way better than me. Hilariously, you would have never, he would have never have known. It's a skill that he would have gone through life uh, not knowing if we hadn't have been there with me saying, let's set up a chocolate business. So um, very quickly, once we got going on the making, so when we first started, we just had a small bain-marie and we were hand tempering every batch. So to hand temper, you basically melt the chocolate, but it's at a very kind of kitchen logic level. I'm not going to bore you for hours, but you, it's too hot as you melt it. So you have to cool it down at sort of simplest level. And the, the traditional artisan way of doing that is on a marble slab. Um, and we didn't have marble tops on the units. So um, we were trying to think, right, what can we do to get a, you know, a cost-efficient marble slab? And it was my mum's suggestion. She said, talk to a monumental mason. So I did. He was tickle pink that it was for tempering chocolate and not to be used as a headstone. And we still have it today. Um, and so we were basically hand tempering every batch and you can do up to about five kilos at a time. And then when you fill the, the chocolate, the molds with chocolate, you have to rattle them to get any air holes out. So we were rattling them on the sides of the units, probably driving the little office next door, little new local newspaper bonkers. But it's it's a pretty inefficient way if you're going to grow um, to make chocolates in bulk that way. So pretty early on, we got some little units, which um, they don't they don't temper for you. You still have to temper the units, but they hold the chocolate at the right temperature for longer. But they became very quickly Andy's machines. They weren't mine. They were his. He was in charge. Once you can plug it in, it's a man's world, isn't oh, it? Like, oh, absolutely. Technology they, involved. Exactly. I mean, there was like, stand back. Yeah, hey, These are yeah. mine. So I became very much on the product development, the flavors. So I'm the flavor queen. Mm. And he was the executor. Um, so he would make them, I would develop them. And we started to, you know, sort of bring in and employ a few more people to help on the making side, um, which allowed us to open that. And then, so I was more on the shop side. We were opening more days of the week. Hurrah! Um, but we still didn't open on Sundays. We were trying to sort of ensure a bit of work-life balance. And that was sort of pre-Sunday opening anyway. Um, and our little shop just went from opening a few afternoons a week to six days a week. We started off, we didn't even have a till. It was a calculator and a kitty box. You know, that's how basic it was. And our original shop, we had spent our money on setting up the kitchen. But even then, our budget was really tight. And something I learned at Procter & Gamble, actually, ironically, which was to spend a little and learn a lot. And that's how they used to do a lot of testing. So I kind of held that kind of principle in mind and we got to know our, our um, environmental health officer and before we bought any kit we got him into the, the space that we wanted to turn into our chocolate kitchen and said right what do we need to do to make you happy that this is going to be environmentally friendly and hygienic for you so he gave us some top tips and then I found that Ikea bless them sorry brand name <laughs> at that time was um, selling steel framed kitchen cabinets with plastic fronted doors that were really easy to clean that were sliding. 
we showed these in the brochure to him, to our environmental health office and said, would these be acceptable to you? Because they were a lot cheaper than commercial stainless steel cabinets or units and, you know, tables. And he went, yes. So we kitted out our kitchen with, our ki- with a famous Swedish brand. Yeah, no, it's a good way of doing it. And yeah. it allowed us to be able to sort of focus on it. it meant we could move into chocolate machines a little bit more quickly. Um, and also, it also was a bit like, well, if this doesn't work at all, we haven't spent thousands kitting out a swanky kitchen for this not to work. And we always had in the back of our mind, well, if it doesn't work at the worst, you know, we can swallow our pride and get corporate jobs in Pool or Bournemouth, you know. Yeah. Um, but over time, you become completely unemployable, so it's never going to happen. Um, and it just, the roller coaster, because I think we started in December, we sent out our 175 boxes. I think our friends were quite pleasantly surprised that actually they were quite edible. And it just sort of, it, the roller coaster just sort of grew and grew. It just happened that we were just running to keep up from there on we didn't stop to breathe and how quickly did that growth so i i remember uh, that time and seeing your name and some great branding and swanage is you know for those people who don't know swanage swanage is a tiny little seaside yeah, town that you would think is you know quiet in the winter yes you get tourists in the summer but you'd think it would be challenging but very quickly you seem to grow to the point and i know you ended up um it was harvey nichols i think and liberty yeah. what was the time frame from going from that then to starting to supply to supply some of the scale? yeah the, the bigger retailers well i put that down to actually lydia slater i I thank her highly um, because the summer after we opened, so summer 2003, we'd been picked up a little bit by some of the local radio stations and local newspapers that were like, oh, hello, what are these this mad couple up to in Swanage? Um, and we'd made life quite hard for ourselves because we're not even on the main streets such as it is in Swanage. We're tucked away in this little alleyway area. And so you've got to kind of work a bit to find us. Um, and I had started sending out boxes of chocolates to some of the food writers for the national press, but I did it in the summer daft idea um but one of the people i sent a box to was lydia slater who at the time was writing for one of the sunday papers and she had a food column and a food page and she was actually on holiday and this box had got eaten by her colleagues and they left on her desk with a post-it note saying these were delicious suggest you ring them up so i had a call from lydia and at the time she was kind of one of the main food writers and she said look i've got an empty box of your chocolates on my desk can you send me some more and i'm like ah so of course we did And bless her, she put us into the paper in that October and stayed in touch with us and was just a real supporter because she completely got what we were doing. And I still remember one of the lines she used was, the purity makes the flavours sing. And this, she was just, and the, the press in general were just fascinated by us making truly fresh chocolates, but also working with Origin Chocolate, talking about where the chocolate comes from. So when we first launched, it was just Venezuela. And now we work with chocolate from Venezuela and Madagascar and Colombia. And, you know, and it's kind of grown over time, obviously. But that sense of provenance, again, was very, no one was really talking about it. No one was talking about using local ingredients. No one was talking about provenance. It's now everyone does, but we were doing that right from 2002. So I always say it's part of the DNA of Chococo. I was kind of ahead of that particular curve. And now of course it's deeply trendy. And sometimes I think people think we're just doing it because it's trendy, but I'm like, no, we've done it ever since we started. So we started getting a bit of press coverage um, and again, we got a, a Christmas hamper piece. Um, that's right. The journalist rang up saying, what Christmas hampers are you doing? And I went, we're not yet. We're not. <laughs> give me give me a day or so and I'll come up with one. So I ran around, found a box, created a hamper, sent it off to them. 
and blow me, the coverage comes out and it's, it's, there's us with all sorts of very famous brands, not all chocolate, obviously, different sorts of hampers, um, but it's our picture, takes up the whole page. And that, Liberty was on that and we got a phone call. Who are you? You know, so it's like, okay. Um, so a lot of the initial um, premium stores that we started being, you know, supplying actually was, they came to us, which was very exciting. Yeah, um, and at the time I wasn't sure we were able to supply them because because we make fresh, they don't want a fresh product that's got a two week shelf life. They want a product that can sit on shelf for like six months. And over time, we've developed a wider range of caramels and other flavors that do do that by definition. But at those, in those days, we didn't really. So the, the range that we could offer the likes of Liberty and Harvey Nichols and Harrods and things was often very seasonal. So Easter eggs, obviously, we can. Um, and at Christmas, we'll do things that are sort of Christmas seasonal shapes and things. Um, and over time, the, the range we can offer them in boxes has improved. I'm going to ask a silly question here and show my mm-hmm. to it. Is that presumably the, this, the ganaches? The, the ganaches with the fresh cream. You if can't sell, but, but if they're encased in something. Even then, then, because we're not adding any ads or preserves, we never have and never will, right. um, our... Fresh chocolate. So the chocolates you got on this plate that's sitting between I've us. I've got this teasing, <laughs> like about eight inches of my nose. And I keep thinking, I'm going to just eat one in a minute. A couple of them have got caramels in, so they will last several months. Others have got a fresh cream ganache. And we don't add any preservatives to it. So you will see chocolates on supermarket shelves that will talk about being um, a cream truffle or a cream chocolate. And actually, if you turn the back over, there's all sorts of ingredients in there that are extending shelf life. And one of the most common is if you add, the more sugar you add, the longer the shelf life. The more sugar, the more alcohol, you know, it'll basically kill the bugs. But it completely destroys the flavor, destroys the mouthfeel and destroys the purity of the taste. And you will end up with a sort of chemically finish um, on, on the palate. So we don't do that. Never done that. It'd be a lot easier if we did. So how do you get around it? We don't. Oh. So we don't sell our fresh chocolates to retailers. They don't get them. Okay. The only way you can get our fresh chocolates, and they're the ones that have won most of the awards, and we're over, I think we're at 82 now, but we're going to stop counting at some point, but is to buy direct from us. Right. Because you cannot, we cannot supply Harvey next with, well, you've got a Conquer coffee on there with um, Rupert's Cold Brew oh, Conquer. Wow, um, you've got a black currant there with British Cassis in. You've got a Cabin Pressure Gin, and that's um, distilled in Horsham, which is one of our, where one of our chocolate houses in. Oh, and you've got a, there's a lot of gin on this plate. <laughs> you've got a Twisted Nose Gin. Claire there is well. pointing at chocolates. You can't see that. Claire is pointing at chocolates, and I'm salivating uh, about it. But go on, keep going. So, uh, so yeah. working with, and that actually hilariously is. The, the best, I think the, the part of the business that I love the most is the joy of working with other local producers mm. because they love what they do. They're as passionate about their gin or their bees or their jams or their herbs, you know, whatever it is, or their blue cheese, you name it, their watercress, as we are about chocolate. Massively. And what's lovely is when you take Emily's Blue Vinny cheese and you say, right, we're going to put Blue Vinny into a chocolate. And she's like, okay, she's up for it. And we create a chocolate with white chocolate, blue vinny cheese, chopped cranberries, put it in a dark shell. And it, it works. It's a, it's a marmite in the sense of you either love it or hate it. But those that love it go, best thing you guys have ever made. And it's fun. And you create something very unique and very special. And if another chocolatier does a blue cheese chocolate that's blue cheese local to their area, then of course that's going to be equally unique. And that's what I love is that we, a combination of the chocolate we work with, Trevor's Cream, and the local ingredients just create something that is beautifully unique. It's fresh. It's designed to be indulged and enjoyed and eaten fresh. 
And but you focus on it. You have to think about it in a different way. And I think a lot of people think of chocolate as something that you eat while you're driving, while you're watching TV. They, they don't focus on it in the way they might a fine wine or a cheese board. And it they should mm, subconscious they, eating. Yeah, yeah. They 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 deserve the work and the craftsmanship and the effort to balance the flavors. The work that's gone in deserves a bit of focus. Yeah, and this is the point of this podcast, I suppose. Is it is you know it's such a privilege to represent all of those human beings. So many products that we eat and it's the same when people come into my restaurant sometimes and they order some food and they're chatting to their friends and they've got no idea that there might be 15 or 20 different suppliers yeah. behind that dish that they've eaten and how hard those i give the example of you know anything that comes in bread and you're like well look that baker has never taken his kids to school because he's up at four o'clock yeah, every absolutely. morning and he's easy's baker in you don't realize the compromises that that guy is making just for his element of the product and and i know I, I it's so uh humbling really to represent all of these different brands i'm meeting um blue vinnie Emily, is it? Yes. I'm meeting her to, to, to do a podcast in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, and yeah, what a privilege it is to, to kind of chat to all these people and bring all these brands and use them in different ways and represent them. Because so often we, you know, in the restaurant trade, we're just the, you know, we're just the middleman really behind the, between all of these yeah. incredibly uh, passionate producers uh, and what we do. So um, all of a sudden, or, or over a period of uh, so, chaos, yeah, you're in Harvey period, Nichols. How but, do you expand but, then quickly? Those, after- but just... For anybody who's listening, thinking, oh, wow, they've made, you're never going to get rich supplying premium department stores. Can I just put that out there now? It's it's presumably a branding opportunity. It's lovely. Yes, it's lovely PR and it's it's fab for the team and it's fab for the brand exposure. Um, But, you know, they don't order very much. Well, it's probably the perfect segue, actually, because my next question was going to be, you know, your your then big shift seemed to be you actually started to open your own Absolutely. House. So presumably Absolutely. that was a result of that. You realised that the route well, to market Well, not even, is- I think it's always been, I've always been passionate about um, building a direct relationship with our customers. I get the most joy out of developing flavours with local producers and then selling them in our Swanage shop and having that direct conversation with our Swanage customers. Um, and Swanage customers would come in and they'd kind of do a double take. They'd walk in and go... Am I still in Swanage or have I just walked into Marylebone High Street? Um, which was quite fun. And people would come in and go, is this a chain? Is this, is this, is this a yeah, franchise? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, no, this is just us. We're just here. Um, because in, so we opened in 2002 and then we managed to secure a bit more space across, literally on the other side of the alleyway in 2005. So we were able to move the kitchen, hurrah, from the ground floor um, across the road to another ground floor with another window so you could watch, which meant we could move the shop downstairs. Hurrah, hurrah. Um, So at least by 2005, we were a bit more visible. Um, And then we'd also secured a bit of space upstairs. We were good at knocking holes in walls um, upstairs and sort of next door to create a sort of packing room. And over time, our mail order business started to grow. Yeah. So as as our website started to get a bit more sophisticated and we were getting a lot of press coverage, um, especially Christmas, the Christmas volumes and Easter, the sort of the whole development of sending chocolates online, which again, direct from us to our customers. Um, and we have customers all over the UK and they have much hilarity when they're sending them off to friends in France and Belgium and things. So that's always tickled us. Um, and so that direct to customer business was sort of growing and we were getting fantastic feedback from our customers that were eating our fresh chocolates, which you'll never get when you're just another brand on a shelf, however posh the shop, um, you know, which is removed from the experience. Because I think with us, it's about an experience. Jococo is more than just buying chocolates that you give to someone. It's you come in, you choose them. 
So in, in our shop, we got an elderly, and it's still going, it was secondhand when we got it, and it's still going strong, you know, a classic chocolate display cabinet. Put all the loose chocolates into that, boxes on top, three sizes of box, and they are empty. And the idea is you come in and you choose what you want to put in the box. If you want all the same, you can do that. If you want all milk chocolate, you can do that. If you want dark, you can do that. If you want all white, you can't do that because we don't do much with white chocolate. Um, but you can have boozy ones, nutty ones, soft ones, you know. And that, for me, is very much what I remember from, from the, the continent. continent. Absolutely, yeah. Where they're made fresh and you choose. And it's a very personal, emotional in, in, um, engagement and experience and you can create a completely unique gift and so what we do is the customer chooses and you put them all on a little plate and then you kind of go right how do we make this look beautiful because you eat with your eyes so you then kind of put them all in the box and very importantly you show the customer the open box before you finish it off and put the lid on and they'll go wow and you say, you chose those. And we put a little menu in because in some places, there are some chocolate companies, you know, the more you, the more you pay, the less you know about what's in there. I've never understood that logic. So we put a little menu in of little pictures and there's little descriptions about what they are and whether they're dairy free, whether, what they've got in them, whether they've got alcohol in and all the rest of it. And you put the lid on and we talk about the sort of the three wows or the three oohs of Chococo. And the first ooh is you've got this really vibrant, happy, joyful box because we went with... You know, the sensible person would have said, let's go very kind of keep it simple, have like one or two colours in this brand. No, we've gone with a multicoloured brand. The princess must love you. It's never, Absolutely. It's, it's never oh, it's a joy. Color. It's never a joy. It's a joy. Um, because every print is different as well and how they interpret colour. But it actually, and actually the first award we won was an FAB, Food and Beverage Award, um, for packaging, hilariously. And we were up against Walker's Crisps or something. And, and we were this minute micro brand, but we were very lucky. And it's serendipity is a wonderful thing um we were you know obviously exploring before we made a single chocolate in anger we when we were doing our research for how to make them and what kit we needed and where to set up in swanage a local friend said oh you must talk to my friend karen she runs a packaging design company and she was based in london but i had a holiday house locally and i went to talk to her with my one page brief about the concept of the brand um, that's a bit of Procter & Gamble training for you. And she, within 10 minutes, said, stop. And I went, oh, do you want me to leave? And she said, no, I want to work with you, but I don't want you to go and do something rubbish to start with. And I said, I can't afford you. She said, don't worry, we'll work that out. And bless her, she was a massive supporter. And we basically were a bit of a pro bono, but we would send them chocolates for whoever they wanted to charm. So... It was brilliant. And she came up with, she took everything that I wanted to do and all the energy and the excitement I had about using local ingredients and working with origin chocolate and making it fresh and doing what no one was doing in the UK. And she interpreted all of that into this fantastic, colourful squares brand. But every single box has a little white square. And that's really important because that's the purity. That's the fact that we don't compromise. So we may be jolliful, joyful and colourful and vibrant and not like a normal premium chocolate shop, which can be a little bit jewellery, takes it very seriously. A lot of, you know, some of the really premium guys take themselves very seriously and you're a little bit like, I feel like I'm not worthy, you know, and I'm in the chocolate yeah, industry. You know what you're talking about. Um, and we were completely diametrically opposite to that. So we, were, we described ourselves as actually our packaging was being category busting because at that point everything was very brown and blacks and purples and oh, and we were like, no, and we're colour. 
So there you see a lot more colour now in chocolate packaging. So that's another thing that I think we kind of paved Well, I said it to you when we walked around earlier, didn't we? I saw the box and straight away, even from 10 years ago, I was like, wow, you know, yeah. your, your, your branding, it may have been tweaked slightly, but it's still, it still pops off the shelf. It's still really cheerful. But it's also got a real, you know, kind of... Uh, um, what's the word class and sort of you know to well, it I so I love it so. I, really, well, I, I hope so done, done um, really well. and it, it has yeah it did make life like slightly complex in terms of you know when we're doing packaging and packaging and printing is one of the biggest challenges of a small business if you want to be unique yeah. you know keeping it's the packaging cost down a lot of is, money. is yes. horrific but going back to so you you know just explain you open these uh, actual because it's, it's quite a big jump from going from production of chocolates and, and packaging and send them off in the post and people coming in so hospitality to, when you start selling hot chocolates and coffee yeah, and so actually that running kind cafes of involved because for me going back to those belgian experiences for me chocolate i really wanted to create the vision was it's not just a shop but it was somewhere where you could enjoy chocolate in all its forms. So whether you eat it or drink it or pour it over ice cream. And the drinking and pouring over ice cream bit was the bit that was missing. And, um, you know, I've always had a bit of a thing for ice cream and ice cream parlours. And we just, we our shop was too small. Now that, you know, obviously it was 200 square foot. Luckily in 2009, the next door unit came up for rent. So we grabbed it, knocked another hole in the wall, and that became our first little tiny chocolate cafe. Another 200 square foot space, minute, but it allowed us to learn to spend a little, learn a lot. So out of that tiny space, we started doing hot chocolates, and um, but not, not everybody will want to drink a hot chocolate. So we, again, we always support local. So it was the obvious thing to support local coffee um, producer. Um, so we work with Ben of uh, Bean Press Coffee, and we use his coffee in um, one of the chocolates and now in our new gelato. So, you know, it nice. all keeps yeah. the circle going. And um, Dorset Tea. And so, and we clipped because I don't think Dorset Tea even existed back then. Mm. So it was Clipper to start with and Dorset and everything. So working with local, local suppliers. Um, and so that allowed us to kind of complete the concept, if you like. And we've kind of tested it in Swanage and Swanage is our mothership. Um, but at the same time, while all that was going on, we were really running out of space. So our little tiny cottage industry with no, not enough flat surfaces, really bad access in terms of down to right-hand bends into this back alleyway. You can't get vans in to kind of do any big deliveries. And it was just becoming really difficult. And at that point, we were also supplying John Lewis, um, albeit with seasonal products, a lot of Easter eggs and Christmas things. But their volumes were actually getting quite big. And out of that tiny space we had, it just wasn't practical. And we were at Christmas time getting to a point where we were actually closing our order book online earlier than we should have been because we just didn't have the capacity. And we were working till midnight. We were taking over the arts club across the road to dispatch everything from and the inefficiencies of making in one space, walking across the alleyway, taking it upstairs to pack it in another space, take it back downstairs, walk across the alleyway, through another door, up another set of stairs to dispatch it was just bonkers. So we started looking around for units um, that were bigger. And there was nothing in Swanage. The, they have built an industrial estate since, but it, it was just a concept at that point. Um, and it took us ages because we were determined to find a unit that was still in the local area that we could keep all our staff and we could keep all our suppliers so Trevor could deliver and everything. Um, and it took a while. There's not a lot of units around here. Um, but finally, we found the space that we're sitting in now. And that was in 2010. Um, and that gave us the capacity. Suddenly, we had space to have deliveries, to be able to store packaging, a proper 
production space. We make everything the same way. We just have more tables. Um, and we've still got the same, the same machines. Um, they're exactly the same machines are in there now, but we've just got more space to work. And on the packing side, a nice, big, long room with lots of tables. And then we can also dispatch in the same room. Um, and that's just sort of transformed our lives. It meant then we had capacity because until that point, everyone said, oh, you should open more chocolate shops, you know, and we're like, love to, can't, don't have the space. But in order to do that, we had to take out a loan with the bank and the bank at that point was very supportive. And then the credit crunch happened and they stayed supportive until we got into here. And then they stopped being quite so supportive. And it was kind of when we got here, we suddenly had lots of capacity. Yes, we were supplying John Lewis, but the margins you make on um, supplying even a business like that, it's not great. Um, and we really wanted to open more of our own chocolate houses, um, which we call them chocolate houses because it's not just a shop. It's where you come and you can buy, you eat, you can sit down, you can drink, all the Learn, rest of it. Presumably. Learn, absolutely. Yes, we now run events and things in our chocolate houses. So that kind of whole concept, that, that, that desire to take Chococo to more people, our customers were asking for it was just really strong, but the bank was just like, nah, not interested. 2010, there was no money. I remember it well. Yeah. So we struggled on um, and we then took the bull by the horns, whatever the right phrase is, and we started looking for some local angels to help us roll out the sort of the idea of a Chococo in a more normal town. Love Swanage, but it's not normal. Um, and we were very lucky. Um, we've got three fantastic um, investors on board, um, two of whom have got really good retail and um, hospitality experience. And, you know, they've put small amounts in to help us. It's not like, well done, you guys, you know, right off into the sunset. It's not like that at all. But it's also fantastic for Andy and me. We've now got some mentors because it's quite lonely. It's very lonely when you're trying to make all the decisions and do the right thing and be a product development department, a strategic growth department, PR, IT, um, HR. We could have a whole session on that alone, couldn't we? But, you know, when you come out of a big company, as we both did, I think the benefits of that was it gave us some structure and how to hopefully look after people and train them and develop people. But what you then realize is you don't have, you're, you're used to in a big company having, there's a finance department, there's an IT department, there's a legal department, there's an, and all those experts to support you. And suddenly you've got to be all of those things. So actually getting on board, because some folks say, oh, we'll never get investment, do it. Oh, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Actually get some help, get some people who know what they're doing, who can guide you and stop you making daft decisions. And when you get tired, they're there going, you're on the right lines, keep going, or I wouldn't do that for you. And, and there's, you know, most people have been through a certain amount of learning themselves. There's no point every time reinventing, reinventing the wheel, the wheel you, absolutely. using that knowledge. Yeah. And I think that mentorship is such an important message, you know, all the way through, right from the early stages. You've got to be careful not to listen to the naysayers and the people that just yes. say it's impossible. But yeah, finding... You've got to find uh, right people, people that get you yeah. and, and you bond. Um, and, you know, we've obviously worked with mentors and things over the years and sometimes it really works. And then other times, like, no, they're, they're different song sheet um and i think for me as a woman as well it, it, there's another dimension you know in the early days you'd get folk calling up like to speak to the owner of the business and i'd say speaking and they'd put the phone down you know it's like hmm. 
And I think in a small town like Swanage, you know, there's not a big network of, of people going through similar experiences. Um, so it's better now. There are more networking groups and things out there. But it's, it's yeah, I've, I have conducted a bit of a social experiment on my kids. You know, Lily was two when we started and then I had Max in 20, 2005. And um, I was back at work six weeks, you know, full time, six weeks later. OK, Max came with us, came with me. But that's all he's known is me as a working mum for the whole of his life. So far, so good. I think they're pretty, I think they're pretty stable, but you know, it is, it's, it's hard. And when folk ask me about setting up businesses and stuff, I say, have you got a support network if you're a mum? Because don't try and do this on your own because you will just exhaust yourself. But anyway, going off piste, yeah. bad habit of mine, gonna, bad, bad habit. Ask, do you think the kids will end up being entrepreneurial? Are they already showing signs as a matter of interest? Um, I find it fascinating, the meetings that my kids have come to, the times I remember being in the in the New Forest cycling with my kids and we were, we were in the process of negotiations uh, to finish off a restaurant. Yeah. We were having some problems with the EHO and the council kind of regulators. And I, you know, I remember trying to find a signal. It was really important. Yeah, we were like, you know, yeah, we're two weeks yeah, from opening yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm trying to find a hill that I can stand on on the yeah. phone. And I'm, I'm probably a little bit aggravated by the hassle that's being called and all they can hear me is me <laughs> ranting and I remember them sort of asking me later on afterwards and saying yeah, why are the council stupid daddy and I was yeah. oh my goodness the things <laughs> the things you're being yeah. exposed to. I was like, they're not actually stupid, stupid. Yeah. there was a situation that was stupid <laughs> but I think yeah it's going to be fascinating to see all this stuff especially at that age is sinking into I their subconscious they, they definitely un- they definitely understand the work ethic they understand yeah. what it takes that you have to work. And I I do worry, I made I, I make a big effort to make sure that Christmas isn't spoilt for them because Christmas for us actually is our, obviously our busiest time. And the danger is by the time we get there, we're like chewed string, as my dad would say. Um, so it's making time to make it special. But um, it's interesting, daughter Lily, actually, I'm not sure about entrepreneurial, but it's made a very, I think she's very determined and very, she knows herself. So I think she's seen her mum kind of, kind of going for it and and leading the way and you know she's going to be she's going to be a marine scientist she's out there to get the plastics out of the ocean save the world and you know and it's so i think that she's turned into somebody who's going to be quite a strong woman i hope um whereas max hilarious i'd never forget when he was quite young toddler just learning to talk and he was in his buggy outside and we were chatting and I think he was with my mum or something. And he, he suddenly said, mummy, mummy, cutmers, cutmers. And he was like, go back in there. You've got customers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think he well, is already warm. delegating. So he is already good. delegating yeah. and he does, you know, he's like, oh, and so they know when we're doing well and how have we yeah. done. And so, yes, they have an understanding of what's involved and um, what's involved also on the people side, you know, that, that sort of that when you make something and you run a business, it's about people. Mm. Um, and it's the, the the highs and lows of that. I find it fascinating that I, my wife and I are you know, regularly having conversation about work and what's working and what's not and the team. And then and then just randomly you're driving in the car and the kids start to ask you questions about yeah. it and regurgitate. And you're like, oh my goodness. And, yeah. and actually a lot of that was quite confidential at the time. We're still working <laughs> oh, on a solution. Oh, we're going to be careful there. And you think, oh my goodness, they all know each other at school <laughs> yeah. and it's going to get out and, and you forget. But um, so, so which was the first chocolate house that opened? Then? So the so, first one was Winchester. Winchester, okay. And... That was a really, obviously, massive, another massive learning curve. Life is full of a learning curve. You know, every day is a school day. And boy, is that that phrase so true. Um, and another phrase we worked to, I don't know if you know the Calvin Coolidge quote, um, US president, and it's quite a long quote, but it's about persistence and determination. And at the very end of it, um, it is persistence and determination are omnipotent. And boy, is that true as well, because you just got to keep going. You know, it's a marathon. It's definitely not a sprint. So we found this unit and it was one of the old um 
that photo Jessup's. That's it. It was an old Jessup's unit that had been empty for about a year. Council was the landlord. And it was right at the bottom of the high street, um, sort of beyond the main anchors, if you like, of the sort of the big brands. And it had been empty for a while. And there was a big discussion about whether there was going to be a a sort of a new retail shopping centre being built sort of in behind it. So I don't think other brands wanted to take it because there was a bit of uncertainty. Um, and normally we wouldn't have been able to afford a high street unit, but because it was right at the bottom of the high street and it had been empty and the council were desperate, you know, we kind of got a deal and we got ourselves in there um, and um, kind of kitted it out with proper units, no Ikea. Um, and it was our first foray into a proper brand. So we had counters made for us and a kind of proper design on the fascia and is an integrated shop and cafe. So you've got the shop at the front and then it rolls into a cafe because it's all one unit rather than Swanage that's evolved randomly with holes and walls and stairs in the same wrong places. So, you know, it looks like a proper unit. And again, we opened the beginning of December. Suck of a punishment. Yeah, well, it was classic. We're aiming for October half term. It slipped, it drifted, it drifted, it drifted. All my restaurants have opened pretty much in May when I'm aiming for March. Yes. And, uh, and you go, oh my God, yeah. and we're in a tourism town yeah. and you just get hit really hard. So, so I, share, I share your pain. So, and what was so lovely, again, a serendipity moment. And I was terrified. I'm like, how am I going to recruit people? We're not a known brand. Um, this is never done this remotely put ads up in the door while we were refitting, you know, ads out online. And this lady walked past the door, saw the sign, emailed me and said, I want to apply for the role of manager. I know you. I come to Swanage on my holidays every year. And I have been wow. since I was 14. And I have, I've been watched you grow every year. Amazing. And I know exactly, and I know what my favorite chocolates are. And so I said, Libby, I want to interview. And we sat in a coffee shop for like three hours just and she was already managing a coffee shop and she had just the right skills and she knew the brand she was passionate about our brand and I said I'm going to break every rule under the sun now I'm going to want to I want to I want to say please now I'm not going to wait and talk to the rest of the team would you be up for this and she was and she was brilliant and it was just the most wonderful because it was our first go at a second shop outside it's not even like local you know it's an hour from here in Wareham so it's sort of localish but you know for us to do this was really deeply exciting mm. um and Libby was just brilliant because she already had that product knowledge and that brand knowledge and um was with us until very recently actually so she stayed with us all through mm. the early years which was just fabulous sometimes the universe works well for you doesn't it, it? And you did think, you work know, the, the harder you work the luckier you get it but sometimes was, that it's was just, a wonderful just, little moment of like oh Thank you. Thank you. Um, And what was really lovely is when we opened our doors, obviously we'd done a little bit of a pre-tease, but we opened our doors. The number of people that came in that knew us already that come to Swanage on their holidays and we had no idea. So the level of knowledge was fab. We started just before Christmas and it just, again, the roller coaster just took off and it just, we hadn't stopped to breathe. Um, And the cafe there is really popular. um, And, you know, it's, it's, Love it. So Just so proud. That so that was now five years ago. Five years ago. Five and, and a bit and years since ago. Since then you've opened... So then we managed to open um, Exeter and they'll be coming up for three years this June. Um, and that's on Gandhi Street, which is um, obviously not the high... Exeter High Street. Oh, 
yeah, too expensive. So we're on Gandhi Street, um, quite a long way down Gandhi Street. And that's known in the area for being one of the really good independent streets, you know, and there's quite a lot of indie businesses on it. And again, that unit had been empty for a while and it's a beautiful unit. It's got a, like a mezzanine level in it. So there's small space for people to sit upstairs and we can run workshops and events and parties in there as well, which is great. Um, and I've got a fantastic team there too. Um, found young lady Liv and she brought, you know, she recruited people and we've got a really great dynamic team there too, um, which is, they just got so much energy and they really, what I love as well is when, whenever we've opened or wherever we've opened, then we were opened in Horsham and that's coming up for its first birthday next April. And you may say Horsham. Um, and yes, it's a little bit further east than I think we were envisaging originally, but we've just kept our eyes out for units that might fit our brief. And our brief is quite rigorous because we don't have a big budget. Um, and we need to be in the right sort of demographic. It can't be too far away for the chocolate van. Um, and ideally it has air con in it because we need to keep the shops cool in the summer. Um, we don't really want it to be south facing if at all possible because you don't want bright sunlight on all your chocolate stock. So, you know, there's quite a, quite a, a long list of requirements. So we've kept our eyes peeled um, and this unit came up and we didn't think we'd get it, but we did. And it's on the Carfax, so it's on the sort of the town square, um, which is great. And it's quite a different unit to the Winchester one, which is long and thin and Exeter, which are long and thin. And this one's sort of wide and thin. So it's a very different shape. So it's quite good to practice on different layouts. Do, do you have somebody that's looking for those for you? Because presumably... Well, Andy is the main man. Um, okay. And um, he does have um, a chap who helps us with that, who's sort of in the in commercial the property, property thing. thing. Yeah, and he's nice. um, so he keeps his eyes to, or ears to the ground, whatever the right phrase is. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's Andy goes out and does days out in the car, okay. kind of. And that, that side of the business, you know, you're then on the coalface, you're making coffee, it's been quite different. Any key learnings from that compared to the chocolate? You're, you're presumably pleased you've done it because you're still it's, opening more. Yeah, so. but it's, um, it's, it's pretty unusual. There aren't that many retail um, units, if you like, that are both a shop and a cafe in one. True. So you've got two different disciplines going on. And so your team have a lot more information to learn and absorb because you, you can't just have people who just do cafe or just do shop because if it's busy and one, then you want you, you don't want to have somebody standing there not doing anything. Yep. So th it does mean that when we're looking for people, we're looking for people that are really up for, they're interested. They've got to be interested and excited about it because this isn't just handing over something and taking the money we've got to talk to people. So you've got to help them. And over the years, the number of questions you get on diet or lifestyle choices just ramps up each year. So people, our team need to understand what they're selling. And there's a lot, you know, there's a big variety of fresh chocolates in the cabinet. And then there's now walls of bars and slabs and studded treats and filled things, you know. It's curiosity is key. I think it's a great human trait anyway, curiosity in general. But I think if you're going to work in the independent and, you know, closer to the producer sector, you've got to be curious because yeah. everything, you know, you you know, we, we need to know who, yeah, who makes the gin, who makes yeah. the cheese, Absolutely. who makes the chocolates, where does the meat come from? Yeah. And I think it's fascinating. You know, if you're not interested in where your food and drink comes from, there's there should be something wrong with you yeah. really because it's stuff we're putting in we're our bodies. We're putting our own bodies, absolutely. It's how we're, yeah. you know, we fi find our energy every day. Yeah. Yeah, still it feels like a niche, but we're the same. All of our team, the key thing you have to have just got to be curious yeah. you know i love it i'm learning i'm learning now i'm learning every day i'm learning when i keep sneaking one of these chocolates into my mouth every now and again when i think you're not looking in case you take them away again uh, i'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm constantly learning <laughs> talking of learning um i was doing a little bit of reading last night getting ready for our chat and uh, i'd not
not heard of uh, what's it called with the chocolate raised trade, raised trade rather than fair trade. Yes. So can you just tell me a little bit about that? So well, obviously everybody's aware of a fair trade, but raised trade is the next level on. So when folk ask us about our chocolate, I say a lot of our chocolate is beyond fair trade, and by that I mean raised trade is all about the chocolate being produced from tree to bar or couverture, because that's the sort of the format we work with it in, in its country of origin. So they're adding the value and creating a finished product in country rather than exporting a commodity product, a raw dried cocoa bean, yeah, um, for us to add the value in the West. So that's the traditional business model, the traditional trade model. So even with fair trade, yes, there's a fair trade premium, slightly debatable whether it always makes it down to the farmers, but that's another subject. Um, but the country is still exporting a commodity product, and then we add the value in the West. And with race trade, um, they're doing that in country. And I was lucky enough to went out to Madagascar in 2016. Uh, wow, it's already three years ago. Um, to see Chocolatery Robert, it's a company that we work a lot with, and they have a factory in Antananarivo. Took me a week to be able to say that. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Yeah, oh, no, I'm not rolls off the it. tongue now. Yeah. Um, which is the capital of Madagascar, and they um, are buying beans from cocoa plantations, which are all grown in the Sambarano Valley, which is in the northwest of Madagascar. And some of the, the plantations they own, others they're buying the beans, and they are then shipping freshly dried beans 15 hours down the road from Sambarano down to the factory, and within a week they're making chocolate. So this is truly fresh chocolate in the sense that we are fresh in the way we work with the fresh ingredients. Um, and that's taking fresh at the other end of the scale because normally with the normal business model, the beans then are dried, put into sacks, put on ships, and they then spend several months coming to the West, then sit in warehouses before they're turned into chocolate. So quite often chocolate is made with beans that are, could be six to nine to 12 months old. So it actually does give you quite a different flavor note. Um, but Raised trade chocolate then. So these guys, and they showed us around their factory and they are so proud. There's like 120 people working there that potentially wouldn't have jobs if the process finished at the farmers putting the dried beans into a sack and shipping it. Um, and they are producing chocolate. So it's skills, improves the skills of local labor, improves the tax revenues for the country. And it basically helps build the economy way more than exporting fair trade. It makes a lot of sense, but I don't hear of it as much anywhere near no, as much as and fair it is trade. A so kind is it growing? Of, it's a kind of new phrase, if you like, um, which has been applied to this company in Madagascar, but then we work with chocolate from Colombia that's produced in Colombia. It's the same principle, chocolate from Grenada. Um, and the Grenada Chocolate Company is pretty famous, actually. Mott, who set that up as a cooperative um was actually in the is in the press. Um, was on Radio Four. He was on TV as well. Very visionary man, and he kind of really drove awareness of this whole concept of producing chocolate in country of origin. Um, and the Grenada Chocolate Company chocolate. There's no fair trade logo, and that's the thing with a lot of these chocolates. There's no fair trade logo on it because it's beyond that. And if folk are just looking for badges, it's like ask a bit more, turn the bar around, read the blurb on the back, ask the staff member, because we can sort of talk you through. There's a, there's a, there's a bigger world. Don't just stop at the logos, which sadly can be abused and whatever, by the big industrial companies. You can, you can often buy a logo if you've got enough cash well, and, uh, and, and it, know how to fill the form in Yes, sometimes. it we, happens. We get asked a lot about why our coffee, sometimes angrily, why is your coffee not fair trade? And you're like, okay, have you got five or ten minutes? Yeah. I'll happily explain, explain it. How, it, how it works. Now it comes something that our coffee is well beyond fair trade. Yeah. And fair trade is brilliant. It's great, but it should be a minimum. You know, We yeah. should never drop below that, but yeah. we can always do better. Let's yeah. go way better than fair yeah. trade. And uh, and you see people kind of like, and, and it's not because <laughs> some people are just a little bit angry in the way they ask the question, but as you 
explain it, they're like, oh, great, you, know, yeah. you need to and, understand yeah. it. But you're right, the label is often is often a lazy approach. We were having the same ch- uh, chat with Helen Browning from the uh, Soil Association yeah. last week around organic. Yeah. And sometimes the accreditation process for organic can actually stop people who, especially on the smaller who kind are, of scale, yes, farms, absolutely. Who are absolutely yeah. following that approach. Yeah. But the accreditation process is is potentially too expensive or too challenging. Yeah. And it's a tricky one because the, the, the accreditation does give people the confidence and it can fast track their kind of understanding. Yeah. But yes, you're right. Ask the questions, learn more about it. It yeah. comes back to that thing yeah. um, of being curious. Um, so you've you've created this uh, this great brand. Your your chocolates are incredible. I'm getting to enjoy them. Uh, you've now started opening uh, opening shops. So if you're going to do more of those, but do you do you feel overwhelmed? Because I re- I remember meeting you 10, 11 years ago when my team came and we just learned in your lovely little Swanage shop to make some chocolate. Yeah. Neither of us, I didn't know what my trajectory was going to be, and you didn't know yours. And here we are, 11, 12 years, years later, later, and we've yeah. created these monsters. Do you feel <laughs> yes. do you feel overwhelmed? Are you still buzzing from the journey? How do you manage that? How do you kind of you know keep there it in perspective? Are, yeah, there are days when I get overwhelmed I'll be honest um and there are times when I have to take a deep breath and go it's okay it 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 will work um and I think living in Swanage helps because you know you just stop and you look at the sea and you go this is what you know we started here Swanage is where it's all anchored you know we're, we're this is this is the sort of the this was the kind of the, the uh, I'm trying to find the right word. The catalyst, if you like, the final catalyst was, you know, we've got a we've got a family. Our kids love living here. We've got a great team. They love what they do. We did a we did um, a word cloud session recently with all our teams. So the team here in Wareham, and then all the teams in the chocolate houses. And I asked them a series of questions and asked them to put words to describe the different aspects of the business. And um, some of the words that came out when we're talking about the people in the team was, you know, we love what we do. We're family. We have fun. Um, we're kind. And I thought, oh, if that's how you guys feel that's great because then hopefully you're communicating that to our customers. And and if our customers give us good feedback, if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed, I then will just remind myself of what we get from customers and that I'll go into a chocolate house and I can see it's buzzing, customers are smiling and kids, you know, it, we appeal to everyone. Folks say, who is your target audience? I say, anybody who loves fine chocolate and, and appreciates good food because, and quite regularly you go into one of our chocolate houses and you'll have mums and babies and families with school age kids and granny and grandpa with school age kids they're on you know children duty grandchildren duty and ladies what lunch and groups of teenagers or groups of students and i think and retired couples and i think happy days because we're managing to give them all something that resonates that's giving them a bit of joy a bit of cheer me up time a bit of quality time and success for me is noise so going into a chocolate house and it's buzzing and i'm like Brilliant, because it means people are talking to each other and, you know, they're not just on their phones and they're not just sitting on their laptops working. And if I can have a family group and you've got grunty teenagers who don't normally communicate, sat chatting to parents over a chocolate fondue or ice cream or gelato um, or hot chocolate and they're having some quality time and I know that they're eating really and drinking really good quality hot chocolate and really good fabulous quality fondue, then I'm like... Yes, we've given them a special, a proper experience that's based in something that has meaning, not 
not a fake thing that's full of sugar and rubbish, you know. I'm, and then I feel like, yes, we're making a difference. That's a, that's a perfect answer because I think too often as the business grows, you end up being buried in HR or in finance or in strategy and all this kind of stuff. And I'm the same. And But you walk into a venue and, and, it, and you know, venues about how they feel more than yeah. anything. It's, it's, you, you feel the energy. You know if it's right. You can feel the ambience. And it's, it's great to hear you talk as that because all too often, you know, the producers or the farmers or, you know, there's a disconnect between what's happening with the production of, of what's going, of the actual yep. ingredients and then the actual selling of it at the coalface. And clearly the reasons your chocolate houses will be successful is because you get both. You know, you get the the ingredients, you're completely authentic in what you produce, but you actually get that that end thing and it probably comes down to you with your mum going into somewhere in Belgium yep. and that feeling of being in the chocolate shop more than the, the, than the taste and the process. It's how you feel and yep. the memories you create and that's hospitality. Yeah. Hospitality is about creating time for humans to spend time with each other, and it's such an exciting thing. And it, but it's but it's also a very traditional <clears throat> thing, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, and it's a very I kind of say we're quite we're quite an old fashioned brand in that sense. Is that what we're giving people is real time? It's a real experience, and we've had the debates of, you know, do we actually have Wi-Fi free days, or is it actually just about come to Chicago and you know start the conversation at Chicago because chocolate is the vehicle. To get breaking people to bread, chat. drinking wine, yes. whatever it is, it's that yep. it's that shared experience, yep. the conversation around it. And so. we can do that with kids. And I'm I'm always just thrilled when you can see a slightly frazzled dad on Saturday, you've got the kids' duty, and he comes in and you and he's got kind of young kids who are getting a bit overexcited and a bit hyper. And we have colouring, you know, we have paper and, and um, colouring crayons, and you just say, colouring idea and you just see the look of hallelujah yeah. so dad can have his coffee in peace and then, yeah, my daughter and would be super happy kids then are happy and they're engaged and they're drawing pictures and they've got their mini hot chocolate there and you just think happy day simple pleasures amazing but yeah. executed hopefully well. Yeah. And you well. know that hopefully the next generation, that 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 son or daughter is going to remember those times that they went they with do. Their dad well, they, to the local chocolate They do. Well, we hear that in Swanage. And... I quite regularly hear sort of, you know, young adults sort of coming in, bringing girlfriends or boyfriends, and they'll talk about how they used to come in as kids. And I'm just thinking, oh. Yeah, yeah. Or then local, you know, some of our regulars will come in with friends. And so they bring friends in as part of, you know, they're coming down to see them and spend, because obviously Swanage being popular as a holiday destination, lots of people have friends who come to want to come and visit. Um, or what also makes me chuckle is if there's a new customer looking at the counter and then a regular will say, now, my favourite is that one, or I love the Arbequina and sea salt. Oh, actually, no, 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 you don't, don't have the honeycomb. No, you must have the Dorset sea salt or whatever, you know. And um, they're doing the job for me. And I'm like, okay, yeah. as you were, which yeah. is just fabulous. Yeah. Um, and to see the multi-generations, my wife was uh, telling me this morning that somebody knocked on the door last night and it was she was feeling older, but it was a, a 20-year-old girl, I think. And uh, she just said she was really articulate. She was actually raising money for a charity. Yeah. And they got chatting and stuff like that. And uh, we don't live too far from the restaurant on the beach. And uh, somehow it came up in conversation that we own the restaurant on the beach and said and the girl said oh I've been going you know I remember my parents would took me there we used to come down on holiday and oh, they took me there great. as a child and my wife said hang on I'm having this conversation <laughs> yes. with a very articulate what do you mean you went there as a child and she was like gosh 11 years you were nine yeah. you were like eight yeah. or nine years old when you were oh, going oh that happens to me so, now all uh, the time terrifying. but lovely that their memory of the town is something that we've had the the kind of uh, the opportunity to create and I think that's what entrepreneurs do we, we create things that didn't previously exist and, and they may have done in different incarnations but every yeah. individual thing you create is different 
different and feels different to a different yes. person. Um, we're, we're getting very short on time, but I want to ask you, particularly I think as a, as a successful kind of entrepreneurial woman in business, I'm sure a lot of people come and ask you for advice uh, and have you, or give advice. And have you, is there anything in particular that you hear um, business advice where you think, my God, that's, that's actually rubbish. You know, that's either academic or it's what you get told at university. And my experience in living mm. is either that's a, that's a really poor bit of advice and ignore it. Mm. Or the flip side, is there anything where you go, you know what, that's the nugget. That's the really yeah. good one. Or maybe both. I think there's an element of, there's a sort of the, and I don't know how, how prevalent it is now, but this sense of, oh, the first few years will be hard, then it gets easier. Yeah. It never gets any easier. You are as involved and as passionate, but as busy 16 years later than when we started. And I am as running around like a mad thing. And that I don't, part of that will probably be that I probably need to delegate even more, but you're on different things. So as it grows, it evolves. So what you start off working on, you then might not be doing, but then new projects come along and then new challenges. And so you're never, you don't, you don't ever stop. So this sense of, oh yeah, it'll get easier. You can put your feet up. Um, you know, some customers come into our Swanage chocolate house and I say, oh, Claire and Andy still around or are they on their yacht? And of course the team just roar with laughter and go, well, no, they're working as hard, if not harder than everybody else. Still, they're still now, you know, so that, that I think is a complete fallacy. And as a woman, for me, it is, as I mentioned earlier, make sure you've got a support network. And if you're a mum, be honest with yourself. And I have talked to some business owners um, and one of them was actually a, a chocolatier and you know she said do I grow and I said right stop does your business give you joy now does it work financially for you now do you need to you know does it need to grow you know are you at a life stage where you have the energy to cope with that growth and then what comes with it because as you grow you employ more people and as you employ more people then the bogged down nature of life increases and people obviously some will be fantastic others won't work out people move on of course they do and you're in a constant state of flux and that's exhausting so I'm always very much have you got the energy be really honest with yourself if has have I got the energy to keep going because I said it's a marathon not a sprint and anybody who thinks it can do in food and drink thinks it's a quick win sorry because you're trying to be we make by hand but we try to be consistent and on the cafe side, you know, we're always being pulled up. Are, are our coffees as consistent in each location as they should be? Are the hot chocolates as consistent? Do they get the same consistency every time? Well, we're not a factory. That's the machines. They're proper espresso machines, you know, so is the training. And so you're always training, refresher training. I'm off this afternoon to the Swanage team to do a chocolate refresher. It never stops. It is relentless. And we're now open seven days a week. And you just have to dig deep. And I think people can be a little rose-tinted spectacle, especially with chocolate. I think there's an element of, oh, how lovely. Oh, I'd love to make some chocolates. And, you know, I just make a few, put them in a box. How difficult can it be? Hmm. And if you, you know, if you really, truly, passionately care about what you make, it isn't easy. Um, if you want to just buy bought-in ingredients and bought-in shells and ready-made fillings that are full of additives and preservatives, fill your boots. But that's not, that's not what we're about. Um, and if you want to do something with integrity, you have to be prepared to give it time. And if you want to make something by hand, you have to be prepared for handmade means people. Um, and people are joyful 
unstressful. <laughs> We're all different, aren't we? You yeah. don't get any consistency with people. You might moan your espresso is not consistent, no. but hey, how about the human being who's yes. making it and what time they got up and when they went to bed yep. and what's going on in their relationship yep. and are they concentrating? So yeah, Absolutely. the world of hospitality, I don't, you know, I, I, can't, I love it. I love it because it's about human beings and it's about time, but my goodness, it's challenging because of that human factor. Yep. So, um, you know, people will be, uh, they'll have arrived to work about half an hour ago, probably, uh, Claire, <laughs> or they'll have finished walking their dog or they're going, oh my yes. God, this podcast needs to finish I could talk to you for another hour at least and I'll come back because just about you know the ingredients that go in and the actual process of making chocolate but but that's a great you know kind of overview congratulations for the last decade since oh, I've seen you for what yeah. you've done it's brilliant uh I I've you've reignited my passion for your chocolate so uh with Easter coming and and I've just you know having the tour around and seeing all of the Easter eggs you're producing uh without a doubt I'm going to be going home and saying to my wife you are not buying any of those big industrial no, don't do that. packed uh Easter eggs this yeah. year and, and I think people are getting into that kind of you know less rather than more so let's not get the kids you know they're they're, they're seven favourite ones and then give it to everyone. Yep. Just buy a couple, buy, buy a quality, couple. buy well and invest. So where can people go to uh, to buy your Easter products and to learn more about you? So obviously on our website, which is chococo.co.uk. Um, we're on Instagram, Chococo Chocolates, Twitter, Chococo Chocolates, and um, on Facebook, which is, oh no, Ch- uh, Twitter is Chococo Tweet, what am I talking about? And Facebook, which is Chococo Chocolates. And then each of our chocolate houses has their own Facebook page as well. So there's Winchester, Chococo and Exeter and Horsham. Um, And then obviously some of our eggs are in some of the London retailers, but not all. Um, And we haven't even mentioned, you know, the fact that we can look after vegans because chocolate, dark chocolate is naturally vegan. So we have a whole plethora of products that are um, vegan friendly and also including a brand new vegan milk from the guys in Madagascar using local Malagasy cashews. So, um, which is very exciting. So on the Easter side, have a look at our website, have a look at our social um, feeds and pop in, come and see us. We're open seven days a week. So come and see us in Swanage. If you haven't been to Swanage, why not? Is what I say. We have a fabulous (laughs) beach. Um, We have loads of fabulous fish and chip shops and restaurants and obviously us for your post walk or your post beach walk hot chocolate and cake perfect i will put all of the links in the in the show notes on the website as well so humansofhospitality.co.uk i'll make sure that it's on there and we're also coming into spring and i know you've just launched into gelato and we haven't got time to talk yeah. about it but we'll make sure uh, that people can see that as well and come down and not only enjoy the chocolate but enjoy the uh, i'm going to say the word ice cream and you're going to tell me <laughs> yeah, off for no, the no, equivalent no, gelato, it's different. Uh, for the for the <laughs> summer so uh, claire thanks for so much for sparing the time oh, it's been a, a real pleasure to see you and uh, we'll catch up again soon brilliant So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.